until the end. Have you made up your mind that you're going to endure? The song fits. The Lord says, when he come, will he find any who are what? Faithful. Will you still be holding on to the faith, the faith? I'm not worried so much about when we're going to get out of here. What I'm worried about, Lord, keep me faithful. Hope it is the pre-trib. Hope I'm out of here. But Lord, I want to remain faithful to the end. And that's going to be a challenging task to remain faithful. See, it's, it's, it's easy to say you love the Lord when there's no pressure in life. It's easy to say, boy, I'm going to walk with the Lord when there's really no challenge about walking with him. But if we were in China or we were in some parts of Africa, if we were somewhere else, how might our faith hold up? If we hadn't eaten for three or four days, how might our faith hold up? If we get an eviction notice, how might our faith hold up? If the doctors say you only got a few months to live, how might your faith hold up? And the Lord says, when I come, will I find any who are faithful? Father, we thank you. May you minister to us this morning as you break the bread of life. That you would break that bread and that we might eat of it and we might be a people who are obedient unto thee. Lord, may you minister to us. May you raise up godly men in this church. May you raise up godly women in this church. May you raise up godly children who have a heart after God. Lord, minister to us. For Lord, church is not about the pastor, is not about the elders, is not about the deacons, is not about any particular group of people. It's about Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just want to glorify him. And we don't need titles to glorify him. We function in the positions that you call us into. And we do it with all of our might and all of our strength to glorify you. And all of us, Lord, have that one purpose. And that is to glorify you. Whether we're mopping the floors, whether we're washing the windows, whether we're singing in the praise team, whether we're preaching the word, whether we're teaching Sunday school, it all has one purpose, to die to self and glorify Christ. May you be glorified in your church. May you be glorified in the midst of your people. Put everything else down at your feet. Put the pastor down at your feet. Put the praise team down at your feet. Put those who work and labor in different areas down at your feet. 
may we all find ourselves at your feet, Lord Jesus. For we are your servants, listening for your command and willing to obey. May you bless us. May you strengthen us. May you minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at Babylon a little bit more today. Um, in Revelation 17, it is spoken about as Babylon the Great. And we're going to look at her. And we're going to kind of like tear this chapter apart a little bit because there's so much in this. To understand the system and what we're going to. And understand is not something that's just done overnight. It is something that is progressively that takes place. I don't know how you might feel about marijuana being legalized, but marijuana has an effect also on the brain. It causes different things to take place, just like alcohol. And remember that the scripture says, that Babylon causes the people to be drunken or intoxicated. And we need to keep that in mind as our society loosens up and allows these different type drugs and different type things to take place that will alter the mind and allow things to be done that normally if you had your right senses, you wouldn't do it. Babylon the Great. And we want to look a little bit at the founder of Babylon also. Because there's not much written in the Bible about Nimrod. But Nimrod affects us all the way through. From Nimrod and Babylon comes every heresy that's ever taught. Every false teaching comes out of Nimrod. The whole process is to understand even when you see the meaning of his name and so forth. Mystery Babylon. Go to Revelation 17 with me. And it reads, starting in verse 1, one of the seven angels who have the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute. And we're going to talk about that, about that prostitution later on. Because we need to understand that our country has become a country of prostitutes. We have become a people of of sexual desires. That everything about us is sexual. From... Transgenders, lesbians, gays, straights. We just went wild with this thing called sex. And he goes on, he says, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth commit adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. 
Then the angel cried. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. And think of this woman sitting on a scarlet beast is Babylon. Babylon and the beast. The church and the lamb. The bride and the lamb. And he goes on and he says, Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. And we'll talk about that later on too. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. Remember what Peter said? Don't allow the outer adornment. Look at the outer adornment here. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things. And the cup is for one purpose, to drink from. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. This title was written on her forehead, Mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of the abomination of the earth. Mystery is simply something that's hidden. It's not well known. Mystery. General mysteries in religion and so forth are secrets. And most cults have what they call secrets. In Christianity, no secrets. Everything is open. Everything's in the light. No secrets. Now I have to worry about taking one step and don't know what happens after that. You got to take your first step before you'll know what the second step is. Or you got to go this far. I remember one time I went to a meeting and the guy, I asked a question. He said he can't answer that question because I got to do first the first step. Well, if I can't get an answer to my question, then something being held as a secret or something, you're withholding knowledge from me. I want to know whether or not I'm going to be a part of this thing. I want to know if I'm going to get involved in it. But when you can't answer my questions, then it's time for me to leave. General mysteries or religious secrets is confined only to the initiated and not to the ordinary folks. When you go back and study Babylon under Nimrod and his wife, you'll find that there were different levels. And everybody wanted to get up to the orgy level. Just think, if we had orgies in the church, but yet you couldn't, you couldn't get there until you went through step one, step two, step three. We wouldn't have to worry about closing the back door. 
we have to watch all who come through the front door because we wouldn't have enough room. Because everybody would be trying to get through that step one, step two, step three, that they can be privileged. And that's a system. That's a system. It's a hidden or a secret thing, not obvious to the understanding of folks. And oftentimes when you go through steps of things, you don't understand why step one or why you're going through step two or why you got to go through step three to achieve this height or to achieve that. God doesn't hold any secrets. He puts it all out there. And then it's up to you to desire more of him. It's up to you to search the scriptures. It's up to you. Now, intoxication is to get drunk. Or here is talking about the loss of control. Because under the Babylonian system, what the Antichrist wants you to do is to lose control of your senses. Lose control of your mind. Remember one of the things of the Holy Spirit is that you would have what? Control. The Antichrist under the Babylonian system wanted totally different. The beast wanted totally different. You're out of control. Understand this, and this is truth. Only time when you're in control is when you're in obedience to God because God is the one who holds you then under his control. God will hold your tongue. God will hold your temperament. God would hold you that you will be seen as a patient, loving, kind, gentle, understanding individual. But that's God holding you. Under the Antichrist, your temper going to fly. That you're going to be ready to kill. Your words are going to fly. Your anger is going to fly. Because, see, there's nothing controlling you. There's nothing controlling you. And when you understand when there's nothing that controls you, there's no boundaries for you. And when there's no boundaries for you, you are free to just do anything that your mind can imagine or anybody puts before you. Intoxication means a loss of control. And here it is. Have you ever heard a person say, boy, they act like they don't have no sense. And the thing is simply is, they look wild. They're doing the thing that is unnatural. And when you're out of control, you look wild to everybody else. And all those abominable things that are in that cup are excitement. Or happiness that doesn't come from God. Intoxication here means being poisoned by some type of drug. 
that you're, you're involved in this thing. And you think that thing will make you happy. And it says again in that verse 4 and 17, The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls. In other words, you can't miss them. When you see somebody step in with all their gold hanging around and got everything shining and their ears all gone and their fingers all laid out, you can't miss them. They stand out for some reason. And he goes on and he says again, she held a gold cup in her hand filled with abominable things. But then he describes them and the filth of her adulteries. Go to Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51. We're going to pick up at verse 6. But as you have time today, just go back home, maybe read this whole chapter about Babylon. In verse 6 he says, Flee from Babylon. Flee from Babylon. Run for your lives. That's a good warning in Revelation. When you begin to see these things happen, run. What did the Lord say? You begin to see these things happen. Look up for your what is drawing near? Your redemption is drawing near. But take off running. Run from these abominations. Run from these adulterous things. Run from that cup. Run from it. And he says, do not be destroyed because of her sins. The sins of Babylon. Don't be destroyed because of her sins. Don't be destroyed because you drink of her cup. Don't be destroyed because you get involved in her pleasure. Don't be destroyed. And he goes on, he says, it is time for the Lord's vengeance. He will pay her what she deserves. Babylon was a gold cup. What did we just read in Revelation? She held a gold cup in her hands. Babylon. Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hands. She made the whole earth drunk. What does it say in Revelation that she's going to do? Make all the nations drunk. The kings and head of nations drunk. So we're going to drink of that cup. And it says, The nations drunk her wine, and therefore they have now gone what? Mad, crazy, intoxicated, wild. Babylon will suddenly, Babylon will suddenly fall and be broken. And when you pick up in chapter 18 of Revelation, it's the destruction of Babylon. 
But what we want to understand a little bit is about Babylon because Babylon is a system in which the beast then operates from. It's a preparation. It's a lifestyle. It's something that's going on that gets people ready for this to come into play. You're always, and this is something that Satan learns from God. God always prepares his people for wherever he's taken them to. He always gets them ready. He always prepares them. Satan knows that he wants to move nations and countries and peoples. And Satan is slowly doing his preparation. And while he does his preparation, we slowly do the adapting. Not knowing what we're adapting to. So as this law comes into play with marijuana, we got alcohol, now we'll have marijuana, now we're going to have something else come, and we're going to have something else come. Even our kids got free sex, that free sex is fun, and all this kind of stuff. And everything that sells, sells around sex. And we don't even see that we're being conditioned mentally. To accept certain things that normally we would not accept. A system preparing you for the worst. But we're not recognizing that the worst is coming because we keep saying it's getting better. It's getting better. When it's not getting better, it's getting worse. But we deceive ourselves by saying it's getting better. Go to Romans 13 with me. Romans 13. Look at the warning here that the Lord gives us 11 through 14. And do this, understanding the what? How many of you are understanding your present times in which you're living? Or are you just living? Hey. The tribe of Issachar said they understood the times, and because they understood the times, they knew how to act and what to do. When you don't understand the times in which you are living, you will not know how to behave or what to do. You just kind of like guide along with it. And we pick up the common saying, that's what everybody's doing. And we find ourselves struggling with that. And even with Christianity, we bring so much of world into Christianity. And it's so subtle that even in the church, and I want to say this very carefully, 
We don't understand the church is not a democracy. The church has one head. And we don't vote on whether we want to do his will or not. We do it. We do it. And do this. Understand the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first what? Boy, take that to heart. The coming of the Lord is closer now than when you accepted him back here. The coming of the Lord is closer now than when you first believed. He's coming. And if the word of God is true and Jesus is coming, it's not going to get better. It's only going to get what? Worse. And have you settled in your own mind and in your own heart that you're going to stay faithful to him? That you're going to stand on his word no matter what happens to you. Now it's nice and I'm hoping too. I want to get out of here on the first flight too. But that doesn't mean we won't go through some things. That doesn't mean we're not going to have a little pain and a little crying or a little suffering. But what we have to remember is this. Our God is more than able. That in the worst of times, he's able to keep you. And remember what he says in Timothy unto Paul, I am the one who rescues you. I'm the one that rescues you. I'm the one who keeps you. I'm the one. And he says, it's time to wake up. And then verse 12, he says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. Now he's talking to the church. And if the church ever want to wake up and begin to act decently, it needs to do it now. All the adulterousness in the church, all the whoring in the church, all the things that men are doing in the church and women are doing in the church that is not godly needs to cease. It needs to cease. And he says, boy, the night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, catch number 14. He doesn't say what he's going to do. He says for you to do what? You have to do it. You have to desire the mind of Christ. 
You have to desire the righteousness of Christ. You have to desire the love of Christ. You have to desire a commitment to Christ. You have to desire it. You put on a clothing of righteousness. It's there, but you've got to go in the closet and decide what you're going to put on. And in that closet, there's worldliness and there's holiness. And you've got to decide which garment you're going to put on today. That's your decision. God will never make you holy unless you desire to be holy. He won't force it on you. He won't force His sanctification on you. He won't force you to live outside of the world if you want to live in the world. If you want to live in the pits of the world, He'll let you live there. The prodigal's father did not stop him from leaving home. And where did he wind up at? In the pig's pen. In the slop. The thing is, he knew his way home. I'm not sure today if a lot of us know our way home. And a lot of us have become satisfied in the pig's pen. But God desires for you to be out of the pig's pen out of the mire clay and at home with him. And he says, boy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something you have to do. You have to be desired. You have to pray that. Holy Spirit, put the love of Christ in my heart. Holy Spirit, give me the mind of Christ. Holy Spirit, dress me today in the righteousness of Christ. Holy Spirit, give me the words of Christ to speak. Holy Spirit, give me the humbleness to die to myself. Holy Spirit, and we got to pray that the Holy Spirit dress us, outfit us. We got to ask for it. But we got to want it. You won't get what you don't want. And the Lord says, you ask and you shall re- receive, but you got to ask for it. A lot of us just want to be saved and cruise on into heaven with all of our filth. What do you do when you're invited to a wedding? What do you do when you're invited out somewhere? What do you do after a full day's work and you know... Around 7 o'clock, you have to be somewhere, but you've been at work and you've been sweating. All that deodorant you sprayed on, rolled on early this morning, then went away. But do you take time to take a shower? Do you take time to clean yourself up a little bit? Do you take time to make yourself presentable to wherever you're going? Why don't we do that with the Lord? Make ourselves presentable. He says, you put it on. You put it on. That you're presentable in my presence. You put it on. And he goes on there and finishing, he says, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the what? And where's most of our time spent? Most of our time is even spent in the Lord and praying, Lord, give me this, give me that, give me, give me, give me, give me, that we can gratify what? The flesh. 
How many of us are really praying that God's kingdom come, God's will be done, that God is revealed here on earth, that God is seen, that God's salvation spreads? How many of us spend time really praying for the law or praying for God to be seen as the high authority of the land? And that his will be done. Go ahead over to 1 Peter 5 eight, Because I think oftentimes we forget that we are in a war. We're in some type of spiritual battle. That, that we have something that we have to be alert. We have to be watchful for. Because he does want to destroy us. But when you're intoxicated... You lose a sense of your awareness. When you're intoxicated, you don't know what's really going on around you. When you're intoxicated, you really don't care about it. only thing you're doing is enjoying the moment. That's all. You're just enjoying. When an alcoholic is drinking, he's not worried about the damage he's doing to his family. He's enjoying what? The moment. When a person's getting high, they're not worried about the shame that they bring to a mom or a father or who, who, who's going to suffer from them getting high. They're just caught in their what? In their moment. Yeah. When you become intoxicated with something, and that can be you become intoxicated after getting something. You go through the mall and you become intoxicated with getting this one thing. You forgot about paying John and Paul and, and, and Mays and, 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 and old Nils and, and paying for this or that credit card or that. You'll take their money that you already promised out to them and give what you desire. Because you're caught where? In that moment. Everybody can wait but who? But you, not knowing you've already promised to pay these folks, but they can wait because you're caught in your moment. I want this. I desire this. In 1 Peter 5.8, he simply says, be self-controlled. That's not just in one thing. That's in everything. When you're not controlled, you're acting wild in some areas of your life. When you're not in control, something else is in control. When the Holy Spirit's not in control, some demon's in control and influencing you. There's some thought of the world that's influencing you. If the word of God is not influencing you, if the word of God is not that light unto your path, if the word of God is not impressed upon your mind and your heart, then it's something else that's leading and guiding. And Peter simply says, be self-controlled. Second thing he says, alert. Alert. We have too many Christians that are sleeping. They're not alert. They don't know what's going to happen to them tomorrow. They don't know if they're going to be broke tomorrow. Because they're not worried about saving anything today. The Lord says take a lesson from the ant. He tells us some things that we need to do. 
but yet we don't do those things. We're not alert. We're not alert to his word. We're not conscious to his word. And he goes on and he says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you allow it, Satan will devour your finances. Therefore, you being a steward of God's finance, you have nothing to steward over because Satan already robbed it all. If God said take a dime and put it over here for my glory, you wouldn't have the dime because it's already been spent. Tennessee Ernie Ford wrote an old song. What's that song, Tennessee Ernie Ford? I asked you to sing that one night, Ken. I owe my soul to the... uh. Yeah. You can get so much in that you owe your soul to... And Satan will rob you of your marriage. Satan don't care about broken hearts. That's his business. Satan will rob you of your communication. That you can't really even speak to people. And we see that happening today. They can text people, but they can't communicate to people. Satan is a thief and a robber of everything. Men and women, let me share this with you. God created you as a beautiful creature. I never had to have a wave in my hair when they were doing processes. I never had to have a whole bunch of gold hanging around. I don't have to have a whole bunch of stuff. Because God created me as a handsome young man. Period. He created each and every one of you as a handsome young man. Young ladies, he's created you as a beautiful young queen. See yourself as a queen. See yourself as somebody special. Because you are. You are. You've been created that way. Don't allow Satan to tell you, you got to rearrange your whole face with all this stuff that that hides the reality of who you are. Natural beauty is far better than any painted up beauty you can show any day. Because the reality is this here. The makeup has to come off sometime. And I'm not saying ladies don't make yourself look good. But don't overdo it like the world. Don't overdo it like the world. Because God has already created that which is beautiful. And, and he says in that area, he says, boy, uh, he'll rob you. Satan will rob you of everything. Your enemy, the devil, plows around, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You have to understand that, that Satan wants to destroy you. Go to Ephesians 5, 8, 9. A lot of you say, well, what does it have to do? Remember all those things that are in that cup. Remember all those things that's in that cup. Ephesians chapter 5, 8 
No, we're not going to read it all, but what I want you to catch is we have to come to a point where we are aware. We are aware. Let me give For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You once were in darkness. But as you get into the word of God, as you grow in Christ, you get more light. You get more light. You get more understanding. You get more wisdom. You gain more knowledge. The best university you'll ever go to is called the Bible of the Lord Jesus Christ. You go through that university, you can sail through any other university. And and he goes on, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now, listen to what he tells you to do in this day. Find out, discover what really pleases God. When you're after a man, young ladies, please God. And if the young man runs from you, praise God. Men, same thing. Please God. Live for God. And if the woman leaves you, praise God. But if they're attracted to it, if they're attracted to it, then you're going to discover someone who really loves you. Why? Because they love the Lord that you love. They love the Lord that you love. And when you find another person who loves God, God then somehow blends the hearts together. The greatest thing that God ever did for me outside of Jesus Christ would be Elaine. Because I could have never chosen the right partner to be in ministry with me. I could never have chosen the right woman who would have been willing to give up her home and sell all the things that she thought she valued to go to school and live in a three-bedroom trailer with very little stuff. There's that sacrifice that has to be made. And men, when you find a woman who will sacrifice with you and for you, you treasure her. You treasure her. And if you find that woman that wants you to spend every dime on it, run. Because that saying is true. If you have nothing, then we have nothing. And he simply says, for you were once in that darkness. You're not there anymore. Then when you get in verse 11, it says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We are, we, we are really people of the light. We expose to the people who are in darkness the truth. Because people in darkness don't know the truth. And we expose their wrong because they don't know they're doing wrong. And he says, expose them. Expose what is right. 
Let people know what is right. Sometime today, we're saying about people, they ought to know better. They ought to know how to do this. They ought to know. But if you've never been taught it, how are you going to know it? If you've never been taught shacking up is really wrong, you're not going to know it. You're just glad somebody's giving you some attention. If you don't understand what it is to be a virgin, men and women. See, one of the things we don't teach even in the church, the privilege of the father walking the young lady down the aisle in that white gown is speaking volume. And what it says, the father has said, I've guarded my daughters in such a way as I give her over to a young man. I am guaranteeing to the young man that she is a virgin and never been touched. Yeah. And that's an honor for the father to give away what he has guarded all his life. His daughters. It's a privilege. Better rush up because I got a whole lot yet to come. Nimrod, the father, the founder of Babylon, and the builder of Assyria or Nineveh. You'll find that in uh, Micah five six that he is the Lord of Nineveh or the Lord of Assyria. In Genesis 10, 8, and 11, you find that he said he was a great warrior, a great hunter. Now, I want you to think with me now. Because under Nimrod was the first time we ever had anything as war or one group of people invading into a territory of another group of people. Because before the flood, we never heard about war. We just heard about sin, never heard about aggression. You never heard about one area taking over another area. After the flood, Nimrod, he wants to become powerful. And he takes over Assyria and he builds Nineveh into a great army, into a great force. And Babylon is the system in a sense that also become part of the land. But here comes this whole thing of this powerful warrior now. Now you have to understand what Babylon's doing and what Nimrod's doing. In his own way, he's deceiving the people through a false teaching and forcing them as we're going to see, to build a tower. Now understand this. The tower was not God's ideal. And we're going to see that before the tower was ever start being built before we can understand what takes place here. A good book, if you ever want to read it, is Nimrod versus Abraham. Because out of that book, it somewhat shows that here are all somewhat all the foolishness that comes out of Nimrod But then the true religion that comes out of Abraham. And everything comes out of either Abraham's seed or Nimrod's seed. What I want you to catch also then is somewhat their names. But I want you to put in your mind, there was never war until Nimrod. 
There was never war until Nimrod. Two important men after the flood, Abraham and Nimrod. Now, Abraham most likely grew up under the system of Nimrod because Nimrod was before Abraham. Nimrod's a grandson of Noah. And right after the Tower of Babylon, what we see taking place is this. From chapter 11, chapter 12, you have the call of Abram, Abraham. But in the ending part of chapter 11, you also see then that Abram's father is leaving the land and going to Ur. And he's leaving because I believe he's one of the families or the people who God then scatters because over in Genesis chapter 9, God says, after the flood, go into all the land and multiply. Then he says it again, scatter among the land. But then Nimrod says, no, we're going to be a great people. You all stay here. We're going to build something great here. If you catch it, you will find that it is a rebellion against God's will because it was God's will that the people would scatter and go into all the land. Nimrod's will is that he would gather them all right here to build his tower to defy God. When you look in Revelation, it says Great Babylon, that system is to build something. And then what does it do? It gathers all the kings. It gathers all the nations. It gathers all the people. For what purpose? To defy God. Don't miss that. So, Nimrod means we shall rebel. That's the meaning of his name. Nimrod means we shall rebel. And you'll find two leading rebellious people in the Old Testament was Babylon and Assyria, basically the same group of people, just name and Nineveh. Remember when Jonah, when God was going to send Jonah? And the first thing it says to, uh, that God says to Jonah, that their wickedness have come up before him. But Jonah is saying, no, Lord, no. Why? Because Jonah is remembering what the Assyrians did to the Israelites. But Nimrod means we shall rebel. We shall rebel. So whenever you are rebelling, you're acting in the spirit of Nimrod. When you're rebelling against the things of God, you're acting like the Babylonian people when you rebel. Now, Abraham's meaning is father of a multitude. Abraham simply meant father is exalted. And how God now is going to use Abraham to exalt him is that he's going to be the father of many nations. Abraham is brought up under Nero's system. Go with me to Genesis chapter eleven twenty-six. Genesis 11. When you look at the first verse in Nineveh, in uh, Genesis 11, it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward and found the plains in Sinai and set, 
and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them. And their goal is to build. But who's leading that? Who's leading that? Chapter 11. I want you to come on down with me into verse 26. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, who is Abraham. But he's under this system of Nimrod, of this tower of Babylon, or Babel, that's going to be built. So he has learned that system to a degree. He learns it, but God has a purpose for him. Because after 11, the thing that you hear at the end of 11, that his father moved him where? To Ur. That Nimrod, that Abraham's father, Terah, moved his family to Ur. Why? Go back to verse 8. Why are they moving? Go back to verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to, I'm sorry, so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. Who did the scattering now? The Lord did. Why? Nimrod is saying, let's stay here. We're going to build this tower. We're going to build this so high that if God does send another flood, guess what? It won't harm us. There's a thought behind that. The thought is this, independent of God. And oftentimes when we find ourselves not obeying God, we're trying to build something totally independent of God that we control, that we are the ones, the master of our own life in this area, and we will not surrender it to God. We want to be independent of God's influence or God's commands on our lives. And it says, so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. They stopped building the city. Well, who's in charge there of building the city? You go back and you find that it's Nimrod. And it goes on and he says, that is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. See, the Lord had told them twice, I want you to go into all the land. I want you to uh, scatter, but they didn't do it. So the Lord said, okay, what I'll do, I'll cause you where you won't understand each other. There will be a certain group that understand here, a certain group that understand here, and you somewhat then separate. God made them separate. Where before he was just saying, separate, but boy, no, they were going to stay together. They were going to stay together. And the whole problem is that God is saying, go out into all the world. And right after the flood, you see the Lord telling them to do that. To scatter. To to go to different areas. 
Go to uh, 9, chapter 9, and go to verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Spread out. Move. Go. Do. Now come to verse 19 with me in chapter 9. Genesis 9. Once. Here's second time. These were the three sons of Noah. And from them came the people. Who were what? Scattered over the earth. God's plan was after the flood that you scatter. Nimrod's plan was keep them together. Now, there's a reason that Nimrod wants to keep them together. Go back up with me in chapter 11. Come into verse 4 with me. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. Build a city for who? They're not thinking about building God's kingdom. They're thinking about building what? A city for themselves, excluding God. Now, catch the road that our country is on. We're interested today not in building a country that is foundation is God and, and that we follow somewhat the Christian code of the scriptures. No, our goal today is to exclude God and write our own laws. And we're slowly doing it in the minds of people. That we are erasing any thought of God or God order. We are slowly erasing that in our society, in our system. That God is not being thought of. God is not being obeyed. God really doesn't matter. And he simply says, we will build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. I don't need God to bring me to heaven. I'll build my own way where? To heaven. So that we may make a name for, and there it is, a name for who? A name for ourselves. Independent that would say only by God's grace. Independent of saying by God's mercy. Independent of saying God enable me. No, we're going to do this thing on our own. And we'll make a name for ourselves. And God is totally excluded. Now, I want you to catch in this too, to be able to see this Babylon and Revelation is this. God allows two systems. The first system that was set up in a sense is that of Nimrod after the flood. And out of Nimrod comes, and we'll see it when we look closer, or if you study a little closer, Nimrod's wife and all the heresies that come out from that type of worship or those different things that take place. And then you can follow her name that changed in Greek to the Assyrian, even down into the Roman language and so forth. It's the same person, different names. Nimrod is Marduk the God of the Assyrians. 
And the whole process comes down that God sets up Abraham's system because that's a system of faith. Where Nimrod set up a system of work and self-independence. Nimrod set up a system of work and self-independence. Therefore, if I work hard enough, I'm independent of anything else outside of me. Only person I can depend on is who? Me. Abraham sets up a system of faith. The two groups that come out of Abraham is basically Christianity, Judaism. We hear Ishmael, but here comes the whole process, not out of really the promise. Judaism, Christianity comes out of the promise. Stand with me. Nimrod and Samarimus, they set up all these so-called religious things that oftentimes we're fighting against today. And you can trace just about every little bit of philosophy from Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism, any of it, all the way back. You'll find parts of it. Now, Satan sets up the Nimrod system of faith, rebellion, and work, self-dependence, self-reliance. The purpose is not to depend on God for our existence. Can you see that happening today? That we are becoming a nation and a people who are willing to say we exist not because of the mercy of God or the grace of God or the goodness of God. God is being totally put out of the picture and what is happening is what we're doing. Is what we're doing. Watch and see and listen for this eventually. After everything a senator says or people in political hierarchy say, they say everything. And then at the very end, God is mentioned very briefly. But eventually, listen to where that's not even stated. God bless America. God bless the United States. Come to a point where you'll listen where you won't hear that. God's purpose after the flood was Nimrod's purpose. God's purpose in 9-1 and verse 19, scatter the people, disperse the people. Nimrod's purpose was to gather the people to himself, to build his city, to build his tower, to make him a mighty warrior. From Nimrod comes Babylon and Assyria, Nineveh. These are the two cities, and catch this now. Because this is important to tie with what's going on with Revelation now. These are the two cities, in a sense, that took down Israel. 
the Assyrians destroyed the northern kingdom, which would be of Nimrod. The Babylonians destroyed the southern kingdom. Isn't that something? Nimrod, who is in control of Syria, Nineveh, Babylon, oh, destroys Israel. They both symbolize the power of an evil system. And what is being set up in Revelation? An evil system. The government and religion in the Bible. Jonah, go and speak to the Assyrians. Go speak to Nineveh. Not me, Lord, because he remembered what took place in 721 that Nineveh, Assyria, destroyed a portion of Israel, the northern kingdom. Nimrod wanted to build a religion and government. Now catch this, free from God. What's, what's the meaning of his name? We shall rebel. What's taking place in Revelation? The greatest rebellion you will ever see. You have the great falling away from the church. You have some who will say in that chapter 13 that those are Christians who are faithless. That become part and take and drink of the cup. People, understand something. Satan's system is preparing people to rebel against God and his authority. Now, you can say that's been going on for centuries. The thing I will ask you to look and see, the intensity of it. Has it increased is it more so today than ever before that people are rebelling against the standards and principles of God? That there's this rebellion even in the church that when Scripture is even stated and is very clear people will say, I don't have to follow that. That was for them back then. And we'll use that good old crusade that many Christians use. God knows my heart why I'm in all this sin. He knows I love him. God knows you love your sin more than you love him. That's what God knows. And people... We are the ones that have to wake up. Are you discerning the times that you're living in? Are you seeing Babylon, the system, rise back up?
are you seeing a rebellion take place? And as we talk about the prostitute and the system, as we get a little bit more into this chapter, I want you to look at it in our daily society, everyday life. There's an article I caught, uh, that I cut out of the Beekner Journal. It was, only the government has all the tools to fix our problems. Teaching us, and some of us, we're already there. If the government don't do it, it won't be fixed. <laughs> Let me share something with you. If God doesn't do it, it won't be fixed. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And we want to just keep, oh God, learning from your word. Challenge us, Lord. Lord, we want to look at everything. And we want to ask our own questions. And we thank you for those who have gone before us, Lord. And we want to read them. And we want to understand from where they're coming from. But help us, Lord, also to search it out ourselves. To go a little deeper, maybe. To understand something that they may not have understood at their time. That, Lord, that you will give us wisdom. And, Lord, help us to understand that it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. But also, Lord, give us understanding that your grace is more than sufficient for whatever time period we're in, whatever is going on, you are more than able to keep those who have been called by that name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.